What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Championship Leadership Podcast. Today, we got an exciting guest for us today inside of uh, the Championship Leadership Podcast out of the UK. His name is Nick Marks. His company, Friday Pulse, is an incredible company up to some very interesting things. Had an incredible conversation with him. Uh, you can find out more about Nick Marks. He's all over LinkedIn. So just uh, just look for Nick, N-I-C, Marks. Just like it sounds, M-A-R-K-S, Friday Pulse, Google Nick Marks Happiness. He's a researcher and also a statistician, applied stat, uh, statistics. And what he does is he works with companies to, to really get a pulse each Friday on where they're at inside of their happiness and how that really affects and overflows into some different ways based on the, the metrics, the KPIs of their happiness, how to improve not only their own lives uh, inside of their organization, but also uh, for the companies that are involved inside of this as well. So it's incredible work. It's very interesting. Had a great time with him. Uh, you can check him out. Also, don't forget to check myself out. More episodes of the Championship Leadership Podcast, you can go to natebailey.org. Uh, for all of the in info on the podcast, as well as everything that else that I'm up to, uh, we have an incredible program out inside of our mastermind. We've got a free Facebook group for championship leadership for entrepreneurs and business owners. So I just ask you to go check out our website and, and find out uh, how to be, be more of a, a part of my world as I would love to do that. So with that, I introduce you to Nick Marks. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Championship Leadership podcast. We got Nick Marks today from the UK. Thank you for being here. Uh, good to be here. Thanks for asking me, Nate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why don't uh, we kick it off this way? I always love asking this question. Championship leadership is the name of the podcast. What comes to mind for you when you hear championship leadership? Uh, well, I think I think of sports and stuff like that. And I, I think of winning. Uh, and I kind of think about how, if anything, I'm a slightly reluctant leader in the world. And, uh, and was never very good at team sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, why the reluctant leader? What's, what's with that? Uh, 
I think, you know, as, as a kid, I was kind of always on the edge of things. I was never a sports jock. I was never a cool one. So I was always just slightly on the outside. And if I did play sports, I'd do something like be goalkeeper. So you'd be the sort of odd position in a team rather than the sort of right in the middle. And, um, and I kind of struck out on my own with my work a little bit. And, um, and then I ended up finding that quite a few people will agree with some of my things I say. So then you sort of work out, oh, you kind of got people that are quite followers, but people who are interested in what you're doing. And you think, oh, maybe, maybe I'm doing something interesting here. Yeah. But, you know, but it's sort of, it's sort of, I sort of come at it sideways. Like I was thinking before the podcast, I, I, you have kids, don't you? Do, what's that? You've got kids, haven't you? Yeah, I got three kids. Yep. So do you, do you ever go skiing with them? Yes. Yeah. Wait, are you the type of dad that skis at the front or the back? Um, probably more so in the back. Yeah, I'm definitely in the back. I mean, and I'm definitely the leader. I want to make sure they're safe. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of push them off and sort of like there to pick them up. And I think I'm a leader like that at work in my own business now as well. It's a little bit like I like setting people off and helping them sort of stay, like be sort of rail guards for them, keep them. But But it's like I also like watching them go. So... I'm not someone that strides out to the front, I guess. And I guess yeah. sometimes when we think of leadership, we think of that as a sort of scoutmaster, the, the, the leader who stamps out front and everyone follows them. And I don't think of myself like that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and uh, kind of the path that you've been on and, and what you're up to today and what you've got going on. So I am a statistician by trade, which means that I was the kind of geek at school that liked numbers. <laughs> and uh, and most people don't. And um, so I and I went to you know Cambridge University to read mathematics before I'd even made a decision because I was just good at good at mathematics. And so um, I actually discovered I didn't like it. I discovered that when you got to university, it became very obscure, very uh, pure. Uh, and I'm very much an applied. I found out I was an applied statistician. I like dealing with numbers in the real world. Yeah. But I, I, when I started my career, I was very interested in health statistics and then quality of life. And I was also kind of, either you can say confident or arrogant enough to think that they weren't measuring it very well. And, and so I, I started to like think, how would I measure stuff? I don't think people are measuring people's quality of life, their experience of life very well. And it kind of took me down a path of being slightly on the outside, like I said earlier, slightly throwing rocks into the middle going, hey, you don't know what you're doing, which is, of course, the arrogance of youth. And um, and over time, I, I kind of found my way to what I thought my opinion was how we should measure stuff. And, and that's kind of what my career has been. So it was partly spent in universities at the beginning, and then it moved into working in think tanks. I worked in the policy world, worked for the Tony Blair government, for the David Cameron government on how they measured well-being. And then the last eight years I've been doing stuff about businesses and about how businesses, I don't think, measure employee experience very well and how could they measure it better. So I've always been kind of like an outsider saying we should do it differently, but also doing, I think, something very, I think, very sensible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Um, well, tell me, what, uh, who are some of the championship leaders that have impacted your life? And, you know, this question I always ask is, it's always a little bit less about the person and who they are, but, but more about like, just what is it about them? What's the characteristics that really stand out, but by all means, share their names. If you feel comfortable with that, not everybody does, but yeah. What, what are some of the characteristics of some of the, the championship leaders that have impacted you and, and how have you maybe taken some of 
those characteristics that help mold you into who you are as a leader? Yeah, I, I suppose there were probably three or four people when I was um, young who, in a way, I would say were mentors. And um, the first one was a, is a management thinker. He's called Charles Handy. He was um, head of the London Business School. And when I was in my 20s, I was quite ambitious, but without really knowing what I wanted to do. And, um, and he was a f- friend of my uncle's and my father's. And, uh, and I used to go and talk to him. And he, um, and he said to me, men, unless you're a sports person, going back to that thing, men don't really achieve very much until their 40s or 50s. So just take the pressure off yourself and try and do lots of things that you enjoy doing that you think you're good at and, and experiment. So that was really one really good bit of advice. And, and that's always stayed with me. And he's still alive now. Must be well into his 80s now, uh, maybe even 90. Then the second person was a, I found a, a, a Chilean, which sounds slightly unusual, a Chilean economist who I really loved, who's called Manfred Maxneef. He just died a couple of three years ago. And Manfred was, uh, was an alternative thinker. He won the alternative Nobel Prize, which is called um, the Right Livelihood Award. So it's sort of got a Buddhist theme to it, but he was basically about what would economies look like if people and planet were taken seriously. And I started working with him. So he was great. Uh, and he was basically about how to stretch your mind, how to think differently. And then um, the third one was uh, w- would be my therapist. I, I trained as a therapist when I was young. And I had this wonderful older woman. She was called Nan Beecher-Moore, who was my therapist. And I, uh, or we used to call it a guide. But um, And I would, you know, talk through about what my ambitions were, what my sort of dark, slightly darker parts of myself were. Um, and got to know, and I think, you know, as a leader, you need to be really self-aware. You know, I, I like reading some of your bio, you know, hearing about your sort of not quite road to Damascus experience, but the fact, you know, that you really had to, you know, shake up your life. And I think most of us who, probably most of us who've got to our 40s or 50s have had some sort of moments like that when we thought I'm going down the wrong way. And I think that talking, it, therapy was the way that worked for me and it's very influenced me because it, it's about becoming more self-aware. And I, and I think that was really, really important. And then probably the fourth one is my father. You know, my father was a business leader. And um, although, you know, I had sticky moments sometimes with my dad, I think like most of us do. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, but he was a good man and he was a, he was a good business leader. And, uh, you know, if you speak to people who used to work for me, he used to, he used to run a manufacturing business, which employed 2,000 people. So he was, a, wow. you, know, a, you know, a significant uh, CEO. And they said he used to always walk around the factory with a smile on his face. And he used to always be warm to people that he met. And so in that way, I thought he, you know, he, he, he has taught me a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's important to, uh, to think back and look back on, on those folks that have helped kind of shape who we are a bit. So yeah, I always love asking that question. What's, um, what's, what's the vision for you? I, you know, I, championship leaders have great vision and and also courage to be able to take action on that vision so what's the vision and i'll always like to include like what's the you know vision or impact some people they i don't know why it is but you say what's the vision they're like well i don't i don't i don't have a vision i i i just like you know things change too fast and and i couldn't give you a good answer that i'm like oh okay all right so you don't have a vision but what's what's the impact you want to make (laughs) um in the near term maybe even just the next five years what you know with what you're up to in your life yeah so i now have a company it's called friday pulse and and we measure the employee experience 
And the way we do that is on a Friday, we ask people, how was their week? Uh, how happy were they with this week? And we create a metric out of that. And the idea of it is that it's, again, it's, a, it's sort of, in a way, it's, a, it's statistics meets therapy in the sense that the therapeutic process is about coming into awareness and also regularly going every week and chipping away at the things that, you know, going, you know, what's going well, what isn't. And I think that we can use statistics and numbers in the same way. Like we can start to use them to grade what's going well for us, what isn't going well for us. And in those, in those sort of micro things is how we build change. You know, it's, it's, it's actually quite rare that we have road to Damascus experiences. Yeah. Most of our change actually comes through solid, persistent work at things and improving things. Most business leaders are the sort of people that, you know, look to try and make a 5% advantage by doing 10 things that give them a 0.5% advantage. You know, they basically chip away at things. And I think that in, in, in work, we're pretty poor actually at asking people how they feel. We kind of think we've just, we just look at what their output is. We look at what their work is. We give them tasks to do in a way they go. And actually, I think we don't recognize enough about how much we feel shapes what we do. And, you know, if we're feeling good, we do good work. If you're feeling miserable, you do miserable work. And so there's something very aligned there. So if you ask me what my vision is, I would like instead of people thinking that Gallup are the best people about measuring employee engagement, I would, my big vision is I'd like them to think, ah, oh, Friday Pulse have got it sorted. They're the people that know how to measure employee experience. Now that's kind of wild because Gallup are huge and we're tiny, but that's, and I, but in the end, what I want to do, I want to create measurement that helps people be better at their jobs. You know, I don't want to make question which tells them what to do. I want to create measurement that supports them, lets them learn what they can do. And that, that would be my vision of what I do. If we can create that, I, I can die a happy man. Yeah, you, you just said something as far as like how you, you, your feelings really impact, you know, you, I guess you didn't say it in this way, but in your, essentially your quality of life, right? Like, yeah. uh, um, I think it, it's, it's, it seems very obvious <laughs> because I can find myself even just these last few days, just kind of feeling uh, some pressures, I guess you'd say, and, and uh, which, which, you know, I mean, it just does, it, it gets you stuck. It gets a lot of people stuck and they, they don't ever know how to get unstuck. And, uh, even when you know what you need to do, which is to move or to take some action to get out of it or surround yourself with some people that, that, uh, that can help, help to make you feel a little bit better or whatever it might be. Right. It's just still always tough to do that. How did you, where did this come about? Like, how did, why do you care about, um, quality of life or people feeling happy or where they're at, uh, in their emotions. Like what, what made you come down this path? You know, in some ways it's a mystery, you know, like you look back, why, why did you make certain choices? You know, why, why do you do that? Why were you interested in that? I think, as I said, I was always a tiny bit of an outsider at school. I was very good at mathematics. So I had my niche where I was champion, <laughs> you know, I was top of school. So I, I had a sort of secure spot. Yeah, you are being outside, and I think some people are outsiders. They don't have that secure spot, you know, and and that's hard, harder probably. But my actually probably the person I didn't mention in the leadership is my mother. My mother was a therapist, a family therapist, and I kind of like my mother's still alive. My father died a few years ago, but I liked her way of being in the world. She's a good listener. She always made you feel secure. You know, you know, she made mis she makes mistakes like I do, but you know, she she'd always apologize if she does something she'll she'll oh, that makes sense she makes lots of mistakes she doesn't but it's like you know she's a sort of person that you kind of you kind of like to be like she is yeah yeah and so I trained that's why I trained as a therapist and I think therapy was a big eye-opener for me that there was you know I, I, it's actually started with going to men's groups was that I was a young man and I kind of knew I was in a sort of faintly misogynist world and I'm, I'm really quite a feminist in lots of ways I mean I'm, 
I'm married to a solid feminist. Not that she's solid; she's lovely. But I mean, it's like she's she's a strong feminist, and she's yeah. uh, and and I, you know, and and I love that about Zoe. And I think that, you know, I think that men and women are absolutely equal. We we obviously have differences too. But it's like, um, and my mother growing up in that time and thinking, you know, that there's a sort of patriarchal world and how do you be a man in that? You know, I'm not, I'm not like you. I'm not, I'm not a sort of army guy. I'm a, I'm a soft bodied guy, you know, I'm a sort of, and I, I didn't really know how to be as a man. And so I went to these men's groups and bashed drums with people and did silly rituals. And it was brilliant. And finding older men who were also searching, finding younger men who were lost or finding people who really knew who they were was fantastic. And really understanding that there's such a variety of ways to be a man. There's not one way, you know, you, you know, you don't have to do the sports. You don't have to do that. You can be a man in lots of different ways. And, and that was very liberating for me. And I think all I've always really wanted is that, you know, I, is to, is for other people to feel as liberated as I have felt. And, you know, I, I've definitely made mistakes in life, but I, I kind of like me. I kind of okay with who I am. And I think a lot of people aren't. I mean, actually a tragic number of people are not okay with who they are. So if I can do things to help them be more who they are and like themselves more, then that's kind of my purpose. And then I'm a statistician, so I have to introduce numbers because, you know, the world's got lots of therapists and very brilliant leaders and they're great, you know, but my sort of unusualness is the combination of the two. And so I start to kind of think, how can I operate at scale and use numbers to do that? And so that's kind of been my path. It started with governments and now I do it with businesses and who knows where it will go. But that's that's kind of the little bit that I add to it. Yeah. So that poll that you put out each Friday, is it, or I, I guess I called it a poll. Maybe it's not a poll, but the thing that you put out on Fridays, is it, how do, how do they rate themselves? How do, how do they, is it like one to 10? Is it, what is it? It's sort of like that though. We use, we use uh, one to five and we use colors uh, from red to green um, okay. and numbers, but, um, but yeah, it's basically um, the question is how have you felt work this week? And it's, it's just one happy. question. Well, that, that's the main question. We do ask more than that, but the main okay. question we build our stats around is that one question. And, um, and, and it's, and the idea is to get people's felt experience of their work. Uh, if you ask them how well has your work gone, they start thinking in terms of outputs whether they've yeah. done what the, what the company wants to do. If it's how happy, it's very much about them. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm interested in data in is people's experience because I know that's, if you if you align with their experience, that's where you get their motivation. That's where you get their energy. That's where you get their their focus if you're, if you're working with their emotional system. So you, I wanted to do that. Do you answer that uh, yourself every week? Sure, I do. And um, so we, we do it once five and three is labeled okay. Four is happy. Five is very happy. And my set point is four, happy. If I have a poor week, I go to okay. A great week, very happy. But some people are okay and they go down. But you know, we use that really to help people work or team leaders particularly work with what's going on. Um, so I, I can definitely be very happy. I'm, I am a sort of, you know, I, I also noticed on your website, you say, what did you say that you need to live what you teach? Didn't you say something like that? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, well, if I'm a happiness guy, it's not any good if I'm a miserable old Yeah, guy. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know and, what? Ironically, uh, ironically, some of the leaders of the happiness movement are like that. Yeah, I, yeah. They know names, but if you look at who are the top people in happiness and you look at their photographs, you look at them and some of them look quite unhappy. And I think, yeah. and I think to, to give them credit, they're looking for their own happiness. They're trying to work against what they are. I'm exactly the opposite. I, I am one of those people that is a bit too positive. And indeed, 
if I've got myself into problems in life, it's from being too optimistic. It's mm. from being too much. Oh, I can do that. I can yeah. fix that. And then running out of energy because right. it's too depleting, you know? And, and so, you know, you, you'll know a lot about depletion, having been a really physical guy that you really have to manage your energy. Well, the emotional energy is the yeah. same and I can get myself in problems that going too deep into things too quickly uh, uh, rather than holding back. So, you know, there's, there's problems of being too happy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, um, well, let's, let's switch gears here a little bit. Uh, what's a critical moment, like kind of that fork in the road moment where had you made a different decision that you did, obviously you made the decision you have, which has you where you are today, but had you made a different decision, your life would look significantly different. You could be in a completely different path than you are today. Um, I always think it's powerful to for the listeners to hear these answers, especially 2020, everything that's going on right now, some yeah. uncertain times. Uh, they're probably in a moment like this and, and trying to decide what path should they take. Is there some uh, moment that comes to mind for you? Well, there's, there's moments and evenings or that changed my life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, and I, I would say one of those was um, my father, this has been 1989, taking me to a, um, a talk. And um, he knew that I was unhappy in my job. I was working a management consultant. I'm age 25 or something. And uh, he said, oh, you should come and hear this person speak. Uh, he's quite interesting, this Chilean guy. And that's where I met this guy, Manfred Manxneef, and heard him speak. And I mean, he talked about something which I don't know if it sounds weird or not, but this, this was the topic of his talk, which was that he's an economist. And he basically said that the language of economics is incongruent with the challenges we face. The economics has got no concept of, of what enough is. So we're talking about sustainability issues. He's got no concept of what fulfillment is, i.e. things about well-being. And he said, we need a new language. And he talked about the language of human needs. And this idea gripped me for, well, I still refer back to this idea 30 years later, but I changed slightly what I do over the years. But he really opened my you know, I had a, I'm, an, I had an intelligent mind. You know, I, I'm, I'm blessed, born with who knows why a mathematical mind. And mathematical minds really minds that see patterns uh, and see ways forward with those patterns. People think about it as very technical, but actually, it's mainly a visual thing that I have about how I see things together. And I, I can't explain why I have that. You know, kids at school used to say to me, Nick, you know, how do you solve this problem? And I go, Well, look, can't you see? And the reality is they couldn't and I could, and I don't yeah. know where that comes from. I've got no idea, but I had that. And so I could see what Manfred was talking about and I allowed that idea to shape my life. And in that way, you know, what happens if dad hadn't taken me to that talk? I, I don't know what would happen. I yeah. presume I would have found another thing that grabbed me and I'm the sort of personality that would be grabbed by something big and meaningful. I don't know, but it did. And, and, you know, I went to work for Manfred for five years. I, you know, I last saw him four or five years ago, just before his death. But it's like, you know, I, I knew him my whole life. And I'm not saying he was a perfect man either, but he was a brilliant man. And uh, and and it was it, so I suppose going to that talk is another. And then, of course, we've all got sliding door moments with meeting our partners and things like that. But, you know, but, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's interesting how much that shapes who we are, you know, in the, you know, it's difficult to know, isn't it? But I would yeah, say that, really that's is. the big moment. That's the big moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm also a, f- a firm believer that it it does always work out. Um, but, it doesn't, uh, does it? I mean, you do see, and you know, you and me of an age where we've got friends where their lives haven't gone well. You know, I've got friends who slipped into alcoholism. I've yeah. got, a, you know, not first order friend, but a second third order who's committed suicide. I've had, you know, we do every, it doesn't always work out for everybody. It, right. it might, 
I, for me, I'm with you. I'm, I'm still 55 and I think life's getting better. And, it, and I think it is getting better in lots of ways. Yeah. But presumably sometime <laughs> you're going to start falling off and it's going to get worse. But it's like, yeah, yeah. at the moment, I just feel, yeah, it's great. I mean, okay, COVID has not been great for anybody, has it? Jeez. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a, I mean, yes, it always has worked out for me. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, oh. I think that, or at least, at the very least, it's a, it's a good mindset that I like to have because... Hmm. If you don't, it can really keep you from living the life that you want. When you just start coming from this place, well, what if this doesn't work? Or what if this happens? Or what are you just creating all these scenarios, these worst case scenarios in your head that that very likely will never happen, right? So yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, it's true. And I think and we you know, we've got friends like that, and it's not easy for them to not see the danger in things and and i and it, i don't know how much this is learned behavior how much it's genetic predisposition and how much it is but people who are anxious or worried you know they're tormented by it some of them and they'd love mm-hmm. to be able to turn it off and they can't they not right. easily so it's it's sort of you know so it, it it's sort of very easy for me to say look on the positive look at that the sunshine <laughs> yeah, right. you know, or you know, it's like the, it's raining, yeah, but the crops need it, or whatever. You know, I can, <laughs> I can make up a positive in everything, but it's like that's not how some people are, are put together. Uh, no, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's and it you know and 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 actually sometimes they hold a truth that we miss. And it's not, and I don't even think that it's that they don't want to. It's just yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for many, it's some kind of a what I don't know, chemical imbalance or, or whatever it is, but. Uh, yeah. And environments shape us. And I think one of the things we can, we can, we should think about a lot in the environments that we spend our time in. So, you know, at work, you know, if you, you know, if you have a, one of those bosses that are shockingly bad, I mean, do move, do mm-hmm. move. You will, be, you will be better with somebody else. It's not about you. It's not yeah. always about you. It's, and where you live, you know, you know, if you, if you live in a, in a place you don't like a neighbor you don't like, or you, maybe you're someone that's an outdoor person, you live in a city, you know, move it will change your life environments yeah. change um yeah. you know if you're if you're someone that starts to struggle with addiction do edit your address book don't see the people that are addicts don't see the people that get you into trouble choose new people who are better for you you know and that sense of agency is still strong but you can do that you know for me you know don't keep chocolate in the house because yes. i just you know, <laughs> like you know and I, i'm not very good at it but it's like you know but it's like you can do things which you know make choices which help yourself sometimes yeah yeah absolutely yeah. well um i definitely appreciate your time here we got one more question before we kind of start to wrap it up what is you know if there were one or two things that you could give to the listeners today that if they were to implement it would help them move their life forward today what would that be um i would take stock every week of how things are going. And, and so some people recommending a gratitude diary about what's going well or three good things that are going well. Um, or you can jot down how's your week gone, what's gone well, what hasn't, um, maybe who you want to thank. So you get out into something where you start reaching out to other people, but I would take time to reflect every week. That can be formally. If, you know, if you're really struggling with it, with a, with a therapeutic or counseling session, it can be totally informal. It can be sitting on your own. It can be meditating or sitting quietly, whatever it is you would take stock every week because our lives move quickly. And actually we are in many ways, the, you know, the conductor of our lives. And it, we do have, we are making choices all the time and we get into a default position where we don't think about changing. And there are always things within your power to improve your life. 
uh, even when you're in circumstances not exactly of your choosing, uh, you can still do things. And I think that reflective process, whether that's with therapy, whether that's if you're a team leader, a business leader, then you know that's what how our product Friday Pulse is designed, is helping teams and team leaders have a little moment of reflection every week. Here's how we were. Here's how last week was. And that's what I would recommend because then your life will slowly, I'm going to say improve, but of course, shocks to the system come. You know, you can still get diagnosed with cancer. You can still have your partner can do things can happen, but it will make you better able to cope. And I think ultimately happiness is about feeling more confident that you can cope because life throws stuff at us. But how we cope is, is what we do. So that would be my recommendation. Take time every week to just have a pause and think. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, it's been awesome. Been a great conversation. What are a few ways that the listeners can learn more about you and what you're up to and check out what you got going on? Follow you yeah, on social. So, yeah. So I'm on so I'm on LinkedIn particularly, actually. Uh, Nick Marks. I spell Nick without a K, which is N-I-C-M-A-R-K-S. So I'm quite easy to find on LinkedIn. Uh, you put Nick Marks and happiness and you'll get me. Or Friday. My business is called Friday Pulse. Um, we are a tool for organizations and teams to measure and improve employee happiness. We're actually free to use for three months. Uh, we started doing that at the beginning of COVID. We'll keep doing it because people actually understand what we're doing when they've started using us. And we, yeah. I think we didn't realize that. Uh, I have my own website, nickmarks.org. I do speaking. I do trainings, um, uh, webinars particularly. Um, that's basically how you find me. Quite easy to find. Fridaypulse.com is our, is our website. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nick, so much. Have Thank a good day. you. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, Nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera. I fixed the lens, and now I see in focus. Now my life's unrecognizable. From my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years. And marriage has never been better than this And we got three kids, that's who I do it for I'm gonna be a leader